Thanks, Brian. I saw that clap. That's very kind of you. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> Obviously, all glory and praise to God. Whenever people clap, I, I always think of it celebratory and not for me, because I think we're singing these songs in unison, and it's a time where we get to respond. And I told first service, Pastor Bob comes up after this, but he always says that 
worship isn't um, like a precursor. It's not just like these songs. It's, it's what we do with our life in response to what Christ accomplished on the cross. And so it, it's been on my heart to just create more space for everybody to respond and to be able to sing these songs together. Christ is my firm foundation The rock on which I stand Everything around me is shaking I've never been more glad I put my faith in Jesus Cause He's never let me down Faithful to generations Why would he fail now? Sing it out He won't He won't Still got joy I've still got joy in chaos I can't be sad Makes no sense so I won't be going under I'm not had by my own strength I built my life on Jesus Yes, He's ever let me down He's faithful every season We sing So why would He fail now? See that? We sing in faith, He will, He will fail, He won't fail, see will, He will. in the past that the Father has answered your prayers that while the night seemed long when the morning came you realized what the night was for right. 
to the screen for announcements. Hey, Grace Point. My name is Christian, and I'm the communications director. We're so glad to have you with us this morning. If it's your first time, make sure to fill out a communications card that's on the seat right in front of you. Up next, here are some things that are taking place upcoming. Hi, this is Sierra, the children's ministry director here. We're so glad you've joined us today. I'd like to tell you about some exciting things that will be happening at Grace Point and how you can get involved. Easter weekend will be on Friday, April 7th through Sunday, April 9th. On Saturday, we'll need lots of help to put on a community-wide Easter egg hunt. We'll need lots of help because we'll need people to run the egg hunt, face painting, craft tables, jumpies, petty zoo, parking, and more. If you'd like to be a part of this event, there's information you need to know on our website and you can sign up at this link. Don't forget, next week, March 5th, is our Faith in Action. Make sure to be here at 9.15 a.m. We'll take a group picture, communion, and then we'll all split off into our sides. We'll also have your t-shirts for all sizes on that morning. For more info, go to gracepointsd.com FIA. Again, we're so happy to have you with us this morning. Next, let's continue in a time of worship together. together.
if our hearts need to be softened, may they melt in your hands. Thou, oh Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all song for a really long time. I've been singing a lot of worship songs for a long time. You can get lost in the words and lose the meaning, but don't let this pass you by, and don't let these words be vain repetitions. Let they be a sweet instance. Oh, Lord, high above all
my encouragement for you this morning is to not get so lost in your own pursuit that you lose the pursuit of God and his heart for these people in the world. Don't be so blinded by the security of your faith that you lose sight of how you came to it, that you were once a sinner and you're redeemed by grace. yourself in this season that God breathes fresh life into that season that it's not old but you will only see what you look for
out into deeper waters we can't be in deeper waters without an anchor so I pray for this time that we would be slow to speak we'd be soft as clay and moldable in your hands we love you and praise you and pray these things in your precious name and the church said amen morning everybody it's good to see you man a lot of rain last night right so it's good to be in here so let me just warn you in advance I'm not going to finish my entire outline you're welcome so uh, and there's a reason for that we're going to be going after some more of the Jesus story the the salvation story uh, the crucifixion story this morning but rather than just moving on after the middle part of chapter 15, we need to stop and we need to, we need to ask some hard questions. Uh, we're going to be pulling back two curtains this morning. One is more symbolic. Uh, one is very real. Uh, the symbolic curtain is we're going to have to pull back the curtain of theology we're going to take a look at the reality of the crucifixion of Jesus this morning. But then we got to stop and we got to, we got to ask why. 
we're going to take a look at the reason for the crucifixion. But inside of that, there is a, I would say, a pink elephant when it comes to the Bible. Actually, there's a few out there that we just wonder about. We're going to go after one that really needs to be unpacked. My guess is, in a crowd this size, some of you, you've never really had some help with this hard question. So we're going to go there a little bit this morning. Again, you just worshipped, I hope. I hope you didn't just sing. I hope you just didn't sit. Worship is surrendering. Worship is opening your heart up to our Lord. And you just, you just sang, I pursue. Let's just be honest. It really is hard to pursue with our heart when our head gets in the way. For me, for sure. I want to give God my heart, but then my head says, yeah, but what about? So we're going to go after one of those whatabouts this morning. So we'll take a look at the Jesus story, and starting in Mark chapter 15, verse 16. And then we're going to stop after a little while. And then we're going to say, okay, so what? And why? Here we go. Let's just jump right on in. And so Mark chapter 15, verse 16. Uh, early this morning, uh, we know Jesus was hung. On the cross at 9 a.m. Before that, there was this uh, early Roman trial. Pontius Pilate, we looked at that last Sunday. Pontius Pilate didn't want to. Knew Jesus was innocent of the capital crime he was being convicted of. He didn't deserve to die. And Pilate was right. That's the point. And, uh, but Pilate, for fearing losing his job, he said, I'm going to go ahead and give the crowd what, what they want. And so Pilate pronounced Jesus guilty, even though he knew he wasn't. And so now the process of crucifixion begins. So this was inside of what is called the Praetorium, which is on the west side of, uh, about in the middle of the, the city of Jerusalem. And it's, it's kind of the Roman headquarters. Roman had a world empire and they conquered many people. And when they conquered Israel, they set up some, some, uh, some real estate. And uh, the, the headquarters in the southern region of Judea was in Jerusalem, the capital city. And the praetorium is where Pontius Pilate conducted Roman business. And this is where Jesus was uh, convicted guilty. Just like Caiaphas's house on the Jewish side, where Peter was in a courtyard and denied Jesus several times. Uh, typically, these places, like Caiaphas's dwelling, his house, and then the, the, the praetorium, there was an inside and there was an outside. And so let's take a look at what happens on another outside area, another courtyard. See, the Roman battalion, the Roman guards were waiting after the criminals were pronounced guilty. The Romans took them and had their way with them. And this is where this starts. Mark 15, verse 16. So now the soldiers led Jesus away from the inside of the praetorium, inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion, and they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak, and twisting together a, a crown of thorns they put on him. Now again, Jesus was guilty uh, of, of, of high treason. That was the conviction. You are being accused of wanting a revolt against the Romans. 
And they call you king of the Jews. And that got Rome's attention. That got Pilate's attention. So now the, the Roman soldiers start making fun of this. You call yourself a king. Well, I guess maybe we should dress you like one. So let's put a purple cloak on you. Purple was the color, a very uh, valuable dye uh, that made the purple uh, colors cloaks. And uh, it was a sign of authority. It was a sign of royalty. You don't just wear purple. You can't afford it. A few can. Those in authority, those in royalty. And so they put this purple cloak on Jesus, mocking him. You call yourself a king. And ooh, every, every king needs a crown. And so they, they made one very similar to this. If you were on our email, I hope you are. I sent this out on Friday. This was made. And uh, this is a crown of thorns, real thorns, uh, long thorns. And the type of thorns that would be placed on Jesus' head, not just to cause pain, but to humiliate, to make fun of. And it doesn't stop. It doesn't stop there. I want you to remember the thorns, and I'm going to help you connect some of the gospel to the rest of the Bible. And I'm going to share towards the end, where do thorns even come from? Hold that thought. So Mark 15, 16, and 17. Now let's take a look at verse 18. And they began to salute him like he was a king. They're continuing to make fun of him. Hail, king of the Jews. And then they were striking his head with a reed as if along with a cloak and along with a crown, maybe they gave him a scepter made out of a a little piece of plant or a reed. And then they grab it from him and then just beat him with it. So they strike his head with a reed and spitting on him. And then, oh, you're a king, kneeling down. And they made fun, pretending to pay homage to him. And when they had mocked him, then they decided, let's move forward to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And uh, they stripped him of the purple cloak and they put his own clothes back on him. And, uh, And then they led him out west of Jerusalem through the via Delarosa, the, the way of sorrows, the path of, of, of where the people would see people being on the road to crucifixion. Why would they do that? Remember, crucifixion was slow. And it was not just for the criminals. It was for the crowd. Don't mess with Rome. This is what happens to you when you were convicted against us. So this was a, 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 a season of intimidation for the whole town. And they stripped him in the purple cloak and put his own clothes. And then they led him out to crucify him. Verse 21. And they compelled. That's an interesting word. They didn't ask. They told. They compelled uh, a passerby. So again, you have Jesus carrying uh, part of his cross. And he's surrounded by soldiers. No one's going to free him. No one's going to get close to him. He's ours now. And Jesus is carrying not his whole cross. That would be impossible because cross in the vertical beam is quite long, quite large, impossible to carry. Um, But he did carry the horizontal beam, about 100 pounds. Typically, they put a horizontal beam on the criminal's shoulders and and, uh, they would have to either tie them on it or, 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 or have them carry it. And uh, as the Romans walked beside him and in front and behind. And so now Jesus, after a long night of getting beat up, bloodied, literally from head to toe, um, he was was exhausted. 
uh, he was not able to physically hold the 100 pounds up, and so he collapses. So, uh, and they compelled, the Roman soldiers compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, uh, you know, just coming down, and oh, there's another crucifixion. And so there, there were bystanders. And th- this guy was the father of Alexander and a guy named Rufus to carry his cross. So Jesus collapses, and uh, the Roman soldiers compel um, if you know some of Jesus' stories early on, Matthew chapter 5, uh, part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, hey, you guys are all under the Roman government, and there are times when Roman soldiers will compel you, will force you, will command you, will tell you to carry some of their gear. Uh, it's typically the Roman soldiers go from town to town, and if they see you and they want you to carry some of their weight, they can force you to do so up to one mile. That was the law. And so Jesus says back in Matthew chapter 5, if someone in that context they knew when a Roman would compel you to carry something of theirs for a mile, go the second mile. Don't just go ahead and go what they say, but may you have a conversation with them after the first mile. Why are you doing this? You're only supposed to Stop after a mile. What's going on? And then there's a Jesus conversation. So anyway, so again, throughout this season of, 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 of oppression, uh, Simon was not just told, but he was forced to, compelled to, hey, you, get over here. Pick him up. Take the cross. And you're going to go ahead and, uh, and continue the journey with us. It's interesting too, just a little push pause here. You study the scriptures, just remember, this is not just fantasy, fictional uh, stories. This is real history. You go to Israel, you go to other places around uh, Europe, and you see the places, you see, you see the, the, the moments. And uh, notice uh, they... Uh, compelled Simon of who? This is a real guy from a real place who had real sons. You know, this is Simon of Cyrene, real guy, and he also was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Question, why would Mark even include that? Mark is inferring, assuming that his early readers knew this man or at the very least knew his sons. Why would he not say that? And so again, a uh, little bit of history here that Mark is writing to the Romans, not to the, the capital city that want nothing to do with Jesus, but he's writing to the region of Rome, the capital city of Rome. Matthew wrote his gospel, 41 AD, to more Jerusalem, more to the Jews. Well, Mark in, in 55 AD, he says, you know what? Jesus is more than the Jewish Messiah. He is everyone's uh, potential deliverer, savior. So he writes to the, to the, to the Gentile crowd. It's interesting that uh, Paul writes in Romans chapter 16, verse 13, towards the end of his long letter to the Romans, right? He lists some of the leaders of the early church in Rome. One of them is called Rufus. Now, I don't know how many Rufuses are out there. I don't know if that was a popular baby name, okay? So I'm not saying for sure that Paul says later on, by the way, greet all these leaders and uh, Rufus, you too. And, uh, but it's interesting that Mark assumes when he's writing to the Romans that 
they were early Christ followers. They, they knew this guy. And so again, just remember that when you're reading this, when you're reflecting on this, this is happening in real time, real people, real places. And uh, so pretty cool stuff. All right, so let's keep going here. So, and they compelled Simon of Cyrene, who is the father of these two guys. Oh, yeah, we know those guys, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha. Uh, that is an Aramaic term, which basically means skull, a place of death. Latin term, Calvary. It's the same place, place of the skull, called several different names, different, different, uh, different, different cultures, different languages. Uh, so, Bottom line is Jesus was going there to die. And uh, this was a place commonly used for people to die. And so the Romans had this down. There were thousands of people who were crucified before Jesus. And there were thousands of people until the Romans were, 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 were defeated by the Greeks that uh, were crucified. And so the Romans had this down. And Golgotha was what was the place. So Mark chapter 15 now verse 23. So, and they offered him before they put nails in his most likely wrists and, and feet. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. It's interesting, maybe a little ironic, that the Romans, even as cruel as they were to borrow the Persian creation of crucifixion, the Persians brought this down and uh, typically history records that before there was crucifixion, there were impalements. And so the problem with impaling, it works. You are dead. It's just too fast. If you're going to intimidate the crowd that don't mess with you, you want to kill people slow. You want to pray them through town. You want to go ahead and have them hung. You want people to walk by. And uh, so crucifixion was a good way to kill, but a good way to intimidate and uh, so, um, so even these Romans who chose to crucify, before the nails came in, they, they gave you an option to be drugged. And this is what this was, wine mixed with myrrh. It was a numbing uh, reaction. So you don't feel as much as if you would without this drug in your system. Mixed with myrrh. But it's interesting, but Jesus did not take it. Again, I'm going to push pause and just, uh, just take a moment here. Through the long pandemic season, you've heard me say, if you were with us, that we are not to just get through any season, but we are to grow through it. We are to mature through it. We are to become more like Christ through it. So may you never... In whatever season you are in or going into, yes, there's struggles, but don't just get through the struggles. Lord, how can I become more like him? How can I become more like you? How can I serve until my last breath? Some of you, you can't wait to get out of the situation that you're in. But you need to, it's okay to pray for another calling, but make sure you're serving in the one you are in now. I love how Jesus did not say, drug me. I don't want to feel as much. I want to just get through this, get it over. He wanted to serve with some articulation, with some intention until his last breath. And we're going to get there a little bit because Jesus was not drugged, so he stayed alert to serve and not just get through it and, 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 and be done with it. 
So, but he did not take it. And they crucified him. They nailed him and, and divided his garments among them. A little bit of fulfilled prophecy there, casting lots for them and to, to decide which each should take. And it was the third hour, 9 a.m., when they, when they crucified him. And the inscription of the charge against him read, King of the Jews. So typically when you were paraded through town, people are wondering, well, there's another one. What did he do? And typically they would have the sign followed behind the convicted criminal of what he uh, would, or I guess she, uh, would be uh, uh, convicted of. Uh, Murder, treason, robbery. You know that the two of the three uh, that were scheduled for crucifixion that morning the other two were robbers. So my guess is their inscription was, you know, thievery or robbery. Don't mess, don't steal, we'll kill you. Jesus wasn't a robber. He, the only thing he was convicted of was uh, king, king, king of the Jews. We're going to spend a little bit more time on that on Good Friday in a couple of weeks from now, actually. So let's keep going. So um, let's go to verse 27. So, and, and with him, they crucified two robbers, one on his right and one on his left. So they were, they were convicted of thievery. And those who passed by. So then you have people walking by after they were standing by his Via Della Rosa way of suffering. Now people are, are, are out there, the, the looky-loos, yeah? And those who passed by derided and wagging their heads and saying, Aha, you who would destroy the temple... And rebuild it in three days? You can't even save yourself. And uh, save yourself and come down from the cross. I see that these bystanders still had this resentment towards Jesus. We put our hope in you. We thought you were going to lead us to, to freedom. We thought you were going to be our king to, to end our Roman oppression. Now look at you. You're not going to overthrow anybody. I guess they won and you lost. And uh, it's interesting, save yourself and come down from the cross so you can save us. You know, ironically, save yourself and come down from the cross so you can save us. The reason why he didn't save himself is so he could save them and save you. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. And so he's being mocked. He's being ridiculed. Uh, from all sides. And it, 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 it continues. Look at verse 31. So also the, the religious leaders, uh, chief priests, man, they have been planning this for a long time. My guess is they're, they're high-fiving each other. It, it worked. We got him. So also the chief priests with the scribes mocked him to one another saying, yeah, he saved others. He cannot save himself. Let the Christ, the, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross. And it's interesting that we may see and believe. I underline that for me. It's one of the things that kind of shouted to me this week, that we may see and believe. Well, question, what did they already see and hear for three and a half years? They knew the Bible. They knew the prophecies. Jesus fulfilled every single one of them to date. And they're still saying, we want more, that we may see, that we may believe. Do you know people like that? You, they, these. I have learned that it's not any more evidence that they require. It's a heart. 
it's a stubbornness. That's what, that's what it was for me. Because if they really were saying, I need to see enough to believe in him, they've already seen it. And uh, I think back then and today, the issue is more of one's heart than one's head. So when you are talking to people and it's all about their head, well, what if, what if, what if, what if? Pray for their heart. Pray for God. Would you just open their heart to understand, help them understand that they were made to be loved and they are loved and sin gets in the way of them experiencing your love. Heart issues. And that's what these Pharisees, these, these, these chief priests were struggling with. So... Um, Come down from the cross that we may see and believe. And those who were crucified with him even reviled him. So he's getting it from the left and the right. He's getting it from the Jews. He's getting it from the Romans. He's getting it from, he's getting it from everybody. I want to push another little pause just for a second. Here's the deal. Here's why I know that Jesus was not living for popularity. He was not living for the prestige or for the respect of his peers, of the people that saw him. Uh, from, from a distance. Here's why. See, Jesus didn't have to continue the crucifixion. He literally could have called a timeout because, and we're going to get into some theology right now, but more a little bit later on, for sacrificial substitution to be what it needs to be, there needs to be a volitional choice. I choose to offer my life for another. Jesus was not drugged. We talked about that, but he was also not dragged. He went willingly. We've talked about that for the last few weeks. No, Jesus chose not to save himself. So in a sense, he can save you. And he's up there and he's aware. And everyone is calling him an idiot. Everyone's calling him a fool. If he was living for popularity, so you know what? I'm over, I'm over this. I am no fool. I'm no. Let me show you. And he could have stopped it. If he got called a timeout, Abba would have stopped it. Why did Jesus continue it? He was living for an audience of one. He wasn't living for the opinions of others. I think another example, we're not going to go there, Paul. Paul is someone we still talk about and marvel at and respect. Paul was not respected by his peers either. He was a tent maker. I guess. You had a good start as a Pharisee. Now, now look at you. Church, who or what are you living for? I told the first service, many people, young and old, not just the young, young and old, you were living in a prison of craving popularity. And you must be applauded by this world to have a sense of identity. If that is you, you are not free. Jesus understood how they viewed him, and he chose to die for them anyway. So let's keep going here. Take a look at verse 33 now. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land. 3 p.m. or noon is the sixth hour. 2, 3 p.m. there was darkness. Do you think that would have gotten people's attention? And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. That is when he breathed his last, that when he uh, gave up his spirit, and that is when his heart stopped. And as the ninth hour, uh, 
Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lemma sabachthani. What does that mean? My God, my God. I'm glad it's over. No. There's something interesting about this. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now here's Jesus who understood the theology of the crucifixion. He knew he came to die. We've talked about that. It's something to know and then to experience something you've never experienced before. Some of you, you know God loves you, but then you experience some pain, some loss. And through your experiences, you wonder. This is Jesus, all God, but, but in, in his full humanity, he was experiencing something, and this is now leaning towards the theology here. He was experiencing something that he did not deserve. See, he was one who chose not to sin, but he was the one right here, right now, that was experiencing the consequences as if he did sin. All of the sin of mankind was poured upon him. And part of the essence of the theology of the crucifixion is that sin separates. Sin removes intimacy horizontally and vertically. This is Jesus, part of the eternal trinity. He was in Genesis 1.1 as we made mankind in our image, let us. Jesus was not just deliverer, savior. Before that, he was creator. He was part of the triune God. And he's never known anything but intimacy with Abba. It's something that when the consequence of the crucifixion was upon him and there was separation because sin separates. We'll talk about that. But first, I want you to know what this feels like on a cross. Why have you first? Where are you? I don't hear you. I'm not close to you. And that was true. Because of separation. Because of sin. Take a look at verse 35. 35 through 37. And some of the bystanders hearing Jesus. Behold, he's calling out to Elijah. Uh, one of the famous Old Testament prophets. And, and someone ran and, and filled a sponge with sour wine. Now, this is not wine mixed with myrrh. Over in John 19, uh, we read that there's a jar of wine close by, most likely for the soldiers as they're out there doing their jobs. And uh, someone ran and filled a sponge with the wine available, uh, put it on a reed and gave it to Jesus to drink, saying, let's see if, whether Elijah will come down and take him down. And Jesus uttered, a loud cry. We know it is finished. And breathed his last. Wow, right? There was something that Abba, his heavenly father, was waiting to do. He had to wait until Jesus breathed his last. Because when Jesus breathed his last on the west side of Jerusalem, just outside the walls, about a half mile away in the temple, Abba went over there and tore something from top to bottom. He went over to the temple, this, this section of the temple where there is a place called the Holy of Holies, separating from the holy place. And the holy place was separated from the courts and the common place. I mean, there's a lot to it. 
um, but there was a special place and only one person, only one time a year could go in there and make sacrifices for the people's sins. And then there was a curtain and the curtain was torn, verse 38, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, half mile away. There was this curtain, and we're going to talk more about that uh, a little bit because this is at the core of the theology behind the story. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Well, well, what curtain? What, what's the history of this curtain? See, this curtain started about 1446 B.C. This curtain started way before this happened. Let me just give you a little bit of this. You know, Moses freed the people from Israel. We talked about this before. If you're around, about 1446, they come over there, and then all the Passover and all the rituals began to remind them of what God did and then to trust that God can do it again in his time. And so part of being at the base of Mount Sinai, before they were supposed to go into the promised land, uh, God gave them several things. He gave them some feasts and festivals. He gave them some commandments to follow, but he gave them a sacrificial system. All of that, but he also gave a tabernacle blueprint. A tabernacle before they have their own land to go ahead and build a temple. Then they have this mobile tent called a tabernacle. The word tabernacle literally means to dwell. And so God says, Moses, I want you to build this temporary tent exactly the way I'm telling you uh, that's going to be way beyond you. And then when the temple is built, it's going to look exactly like this, but less tent, more, more, more rock, right? And uh, it's interesting that God designed this place for there to be a holy of holies. He designed this curtain. I'll tell you more about this curtain just a little bit. But this curtain was to separate everyone from one who would go in there only once a year, Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, uh, and sacrifices were made for, for the people. So that started uh, 1446 B.C. And then you have, finally, let's fast forward, get into the land of Israel. About 950 B.C., Solomon, David's son, finally is, is called, uh, commissioned to build the, the, the real temple, the one made out of rock, not made out of cloth. And guess what was still part of that? That was the Holy of Holies. That was the curtain that would separate all from one year, once a year, one person come in there for the sacrifices of the people. So that was about 950 B.C. That kept on going till 588 B.C. when basically Jerusalem and the temple was totally demolished. 588 B.C. For 70 years, then 536 B.C., you have Ezra coming back from captivity. And the first thing they did, guess what? They rebuilt the temple. And so again, when the temple was rebuilt, guess what was put back? The curtain, the, the, the Holy of Holies. And that curtain has stayed throughout Jesus' life. No one could go in except one once a year. It was to help people understand the theology that was going on, and that is sin separates. And you can't go in literally lest you die. You know, when these high priests would go in in the tabernacle days and the temple days, there would be a rope around their ankle. So they'd go in, and if they fainted or if they basically couldn't get out on their own, they literally would have to be pulled out because no one can go in there because it is that special. 
We're going to talk more about that, but again, that's, that's the curtain, okay? God rips it so that it's not just once a year. It's not just one for all, the high priest. It's for everyone. Now you can usher into the presence, the holy of holies, the holiest place, and be with God. Hold that thought because more, more, more is coming. And so... Verse 39, let's finish the story and then let's get into the theology just a little bit. And so Matthew 15, verse 39. And then when the centurion, that's a Roman soldier over a hundred. When the centurion who stood facing Jesus saw that in this way he breathed his last. I mean, he's seen a lot. He said, truly this man was the son of God. Now context, this is really consistent with Mark. Again, Mark writes to who? Not to the Jews, more to the Gentiles. Not to those hanging around in Jerusalem. No, to those hanging around Rome, okay? And so Mark's uh, whole uh, premise was that I'm making a case for Christ that he's more than a Jewish deliverer savior. He came for everyone, regardless of, uh, of culture. And so... It's no coincidence that when Mark's starting to wrap up his gospel, he makes mention that a Roman centurion made his decision after he considered the case for Christ and he made the call, truly, Jesus was the Son of God, the one that God sent, the one that came to save. It's interesting that so this is truly, this man was the Son of God. Mark 1.1, like a year ago, January, right? We started this, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So again, he's writing to the Gentiles saying, let me make a case that he is the Son of God who came for all, who came for you. And then towards the end, he's saying a Roman Gentile uh, is making his decision. What will your decision be? Good stuff, right? So we're going to stop there, and then we're going to continue to move on next week. Uh, but now we got to stop and open up another curtain. So again, the curtain in the, in the temple was, was torn. I need you and I now to step from the story behind the curtain to the theology of it. And let's ask several questions, but I'm really going to go after one. So here we go. You might want to write some of this down and, uh, and, and, and follow along. Mark chapter 10, verse 43 and 45. So this is the reason for the crucifixion. Why did he have to die? What reason was there that Jesus was the only way, the only path, so that we could be, again, uh, experiencing with God, the relationship we were meant to have. Here we go. I'm going to just do a little primer for this. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Mark chapter 10. Next Sunday, by the way, this is the passage I'm going to read again in our faith in action. I hope you come. I hope you sign up. And we're going to be here in this auditorium, both services, everybody, even some of your friends. And uh, if you have friends, yeah. And so that was supposed to be a joke. Come on, people. You're too serious. So you're going to come here. We're going to take communion. Uh, and it's just going to take just like just seven minutes of, of communion. Then we're going to take a big faith in action picture. And then we're going to get out of here. We're going to go serve 
I don't know how many places, so it's going to be a lot of fun, so we don't want you to miss that. But this is the passage I'm going to share. Mark 10, 43, 45. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant, like Jesus modeled. For even the Son of Man, he's the Son of God, and he's the Son of Man. That's that incarnation, the mystery of, of who Jesus is. Both are very cool. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. So again, I want Grace Point Church. You want Grace Church to be known for that. So let's come to serve. So next week, come to serve. But the point for communion and the point for this morning is, and he came not to be served, but to serve, but to give his life. Here it is, a ransom for many. How was Jesus a ransom? He gave his life as a ransom for many. You've all seen the movies, right? You've seen the, the, the kidnappings. You've seen the, 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 the exchange of currencies and all that. How is Jesus a ransom? There's several things. And every one of these descriptions uh, have some insights to it. And let me just give you a few related to the fact that Jesus gave his life as a ransom. I think when I think of ransom, according to the scriptures, I think of something that was paid so that a reconciliation can happen. So someone is away from their loved ones. They are uh, not able to get back to them. And so a, 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 a ransom was, was made so that a reconciliation, a reconnection can be possible. But there's also something about ransom. When you are oppressed, when you are the one away, you don't pay your own ransom. Someone pays it for you. So a ransom was paid. So for the person that is, in a sense, set free, it's free for you. But it costs someone else a lot. So that's the point. So listen, salvation is free for you, but it's not cheap. It costs Jesus his life, of which he did not deserve. So that's the point here. He gave his life as a ransom for many. And uh, so let's take more of a, uh, of a walk through this. Uh, let's call this a theological walk. We walk through some of Jesus' story. Let me give you a little bit of a journey through some theology this morning. And the, the references are, are on your note sheet. So you can go ahead and look back with them a little bit later on. So again, the essence of, of, of gospel, sin, separation, salvation. So let's go ahead and kind of connect the dots to, to these. So here we go. Let me give you a little bit of Romans here. Romans 3, 23 and 24. For everyone has sinned. Sin. Everyone has sinned. We all sh- fall short of God's standards, who he is. Yet God in his grace, he freeless, freely makes us right in his sight, free for us. He did this through Christ when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. The penalty, the, the price, the, the, the result of sin is separation. And so something had to happen so that this reconnection can happen. And Jesus did what must have been done. And we'll talk more about that. So Romans 3, all have sinned, all fall short, all in the same boat. Take a look at Romans 5, 12. So when Adam sinned, uh, towards the end, and actually starting right now, we're going to get back to the beginning. See, the beginning of the Bible is the beginning of the story of creation and redemption. So Genesis 1 and 2, God made perfectly uh, a planet and people. 
everything. Genesis 3, mankind chose to say, no, I will go my own way. You made me with the opportunity, with the volitionality to love you back. I think I'm going to go ahead and go my own way. Thank you. And that's what Adam and Eve did, Genesis 3. And so Paul writes this theology about that story in Romans 5. When Adam and Eve sinned, he kind of puts the, uh, the, the focus on Adam. And actually back in Genesis, uh, when they're both hiding, God goes after Adam. And uh, there's a lot to it. I think the first sin actually is Adam's passivity. Uh, when Eve was being tempted by the serpent, where was Adam? He wasn't golfing. He was right there. I think he was curious because God, we're not going to go, I don't have time to go this this morning, but when God told Adam, by the way, uh, you can have everything, but don't have this one thing because I'm going to put volitional will in play here. And, uh, and if you do what you're not supposed to do, you're going to die. He remembers that. And now at Eve is being tempted. And I think uh, the serpent comes and crunches on this fruit. <laughs> I know what you heard. Do I look dead? No. So Adam's thinking, I wonder what's going to happen to Eve when she does this. So he kind of takes a step back. Just a thought. And so let's get back to this story. When Adam sinned, notice that sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death. So death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. The world got screwed up, and now the world is going to be filled with sinners who basically are now stained with the sin. And now it's not just the people, it's the places, it's the thorns and the thistles. Everything now is going to not be the way God intended. Now people are going to hide from each other. They're going to hide from God. They're going to deal with insecurity issues. They're going to deal with shame and fear. It's all messed up. And God says it all started in that garden. When basically volitional will went bad. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world and Adam's sin brought death. So sin started the reality of death. And let me just talk a little bit about this too. So sin entered, Adam's sin brought death. So then death spread to everyone for everyone's sin. Listen to me. God never meant for there to be coffins in his creation in his ideal will, when people would choose to follow and trust and, and, and have face-to-face fellowship with him, they were never supposed to, there should have never been physical or spiritual death. That's why you hate death. People are confused at death. They're mourning death. I'm going to do another funeral here in a couple of weeks. And, and I, I, I mean, honestly, people don't listen to me at weddings. They're just interested in cake and reception and the ooey-gooeyness of that. I get that. I, I love weddings to do. You know what? There are people who listen at funerals. I, I see hearts bleeding. I see people struggling. Because death was never supposed to be. And uh, so hear me on that. So sin started, and with sin came separation. That's the idea. Physical and spiritual death brings separation. When you're physically dead, you're separate from people that are still physically alive. You know, when the Bible talks about spiritual life, the, 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 the description is eternal life. The, the life that you're supposed to have. Uh, so with death because of sin, physical and spiritual, we have separation. Take a look at Romans 6.23. For the wages of sin is death. 
the result of sin. Honestly, yes, sin was passed on to us, but we've all done enough to go ahead and say, we own this. We're part of the problem. The idea there, the wages of sin is death. You know, when you have a wage, the idea there is what you deserve. So basically, we make our own choices. We've all fallen short. I don't need to convince you that. You know that. You don't live up to your own standards, let alone God's standards. When you get a paycheck, do you send your boss an email? Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. No, you don't because you earned it. It's a wage. Matter of fact, they better pay you what they contractually told you, yeah? No, bonuses might be a different deal. So the idea of a wage is, you know what? Yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting what I deserve. Listen to me. Some of you that have a problem with Savior, your earlier problem is whether or not you're a sinner. And I'm going to help you with that in a couple minutes. But that's part of this theology beyond the crucifixion. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. We are all dealing with the separation. And God says, I have an answer for it if you will take advantage of him. So here we go. The wage of sin is death, but the free gift of God, it's not free for him. It's free for you, is eternal life. So then you don't have to have the separation through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So here's the, the money question for this morning. Just, and it won't take me too long to unpack it, but I got to address it. Why? You've heard here and you've heard elsewhere, God is a loving God. He's an all-powerful God. You probably have heard that and it's true. He loves you. He's omnipotent. He's all-powerful Okay, Bob, if that's the truth, why is sin so severe in, in, in the result of it? If God is so loving and if God is so powerful, why is sin such a big deal? Why can't he just overlook it and keep people close to him forever, regardless what they do? Pastor Bob, I have a hard time believing. I have a difficulty grasping God's love and God's power. When sin separates, is it because God wants sin to separate? Or is it because God, in who he is, is part of the reality that I'm experiencing. And this is kind of where I'm going to go. Grace Point Church and those listening, if you have a difficulty with God's fairness, with God's loving kindness because of the separation and the severity that that sin is described as in the Bible, your greater difficulty is the impossibility of understanding the holiness of God. That's where we have to go. See, again, if we find it so difficult, God, what's the big deal? Why can't you just overlook? Why can't you just let us all in? If you're as loving as people say you are. That difficulty, again, underneath that is the not just difficult, it is absolutely impossible for you and I to grasp the holiness of God. Here's the truth. It's not that God doesn't want to be with sinners. The reality is sin cannot exist in the presence of the holiness of God. Just as much as a piece of wheat cannot exist in a fire 
Because when the wheat gets close, the wheat can't survive. Let me unpack this a little bit more. Because maybe for some of you, this just might be a game changer. So let me give you one of the many verses that describe God's character as a fire. Now, this is not that he is an angry fire, but that he is a holy fire. Let's take a look at this. Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Have you ever had the, I would say, the guts, the courage, maybe the safe environment to ask, what on earth does that mean? And hear me, there are many people that really mess this up. God is not angry at you. He loves you. And God is not just this fiery furnace that he wants you to fear. You better not tick me off. Some of you think God is like the Romans. He's not. The reality, though, is God is a consuming fire because sin cannot exist because he's so holy. In a sense, he's so hot figuratively. It's as if he's light that is unapproachable if there's any darkness in you. Matter of fact, that is exactly what the Bible says. Take a look at 1 Timothy 6, verse 15. He who is the blessed, that is God, and the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who dwells in unapproachable light. That's the problem. Whom no one has ever seen or can see. You know what would happen if people see God fully? They would not be able to survive. They would not be able to exist. Hence, in the garden, when sin came in, Adam and Eve had to leave. In the garden, there was face-to-face fellowship. That was no more. They still had this connection, but it was never the same. It was never fully face-to-face. Now there was a gap. Now there was sin. Now there was separation. Now there's a curtain. Now there are prophets and all these sacrifices. All of that leads up to the fact that God's holy and, 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 and we are not. And we're not going to spend all that. There's so much to this. Um, so after the garden, there were people, there were prophets, there were conversations that God had, but never fully, never face to face because God is a consuming fire. He is the one who exhibits unapproachable light. Let me give you one example of this, Moses. So Moses was used by God to free the, uh, uh, the Israelites from Egypt. He's the one that set up the, the, the tabernacle, the Holy of Holies, and the curtain. And uh, boy, Moses dealt with inadequacy like most of us do. So Moses said, I just don't think I can do what you're calling me to do. So God, I just need, would you just let me see you fully? I just need, I just need a moment. Notice what God does in Exodus 33, verse 18. Moses said, please show me your glory. And, uh, and he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, the Lord. But you cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. Moses, I'll give you, I'll reveal myself to you, but you can't because I'm holy and you're not. Now, there's a lot of verses more. Psalms 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He's close, but not fully face to face. He will bring his compassion and his closeness to you. He wants to carry you. He wants to to reveal himself to you. But until sin is finally resolved, 
until God makes all things new, we still need to wait for the full intimacy that God says you were made to have. Did you know even the devil and Job had this conversation with God? But it wasn't full. It wasn't face-to-face. The devil can't exist in God's presence. He was cast out of heaven. There's so much to this over through the scriptures. Let me just give you one more. And, and then I'm going to wrap this up. Mark chapter 9. You were here in a couple months ago, whatever, where we were in Mark. That's the transfiguration of Jesus. Even Jesus, God, man, God, the son, God, the man, son of God, son of man. He was with people, but not fully. There's only one time in Mark chapter 9 where a few people got a glimpse of his holiness. It's when he kind of stepped out from his skin. And you can read this in Mark 9. His face shined. His whole body was hard to see. Is as if he was unapproachable light. That is the best view that anyone has ever had of Jesus so far. Jesus had all these conversations with people. And one of the persons that was there was John. Peter, James, and John were part of this transfiguration. It's interesting. Let me just give you a little bit more of this. I actually added this this morning. That's why we're not going to finish the whole outline. I kind of want to deal with this a little bit more. Take a look at Isaiah, and then take a look at John. Look at Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah was one of these prophets of old who was walking with God, who was mighty as a servant of God. And then God didn't show him his face, but God revealed to him some of his holiness. Notice what happens here. Isaiah chapter 6. And one called to another this angel. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. See, that's our problem. We just think God's holy. He's not. He's holy, holy, holy. What do I mean by that? In the Hebrew, there's only one word for holy. But I love how Hebrew is a graphic language where you can have dots around the nouns. And the descriptions, the, 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 the pictures. And the dots communicate intensity. So you have holy, a couple more dots. You have holier, holy, holy. But then you have holy est, only one of. Holy, holy, holy. So this is, this is who God is. We have no idea how holy God is. That's our problem. But notice this, uh, Isaiah 6. And then notice what Isaiah and how he feels when he sees a glimpse of God. This is not real God. This is revelation of God. Woe is me, I'm lost. I am a man of, I do not belong in your presence. And matter of fact, the whole world, all my people don't belong in your presence. They get it. He gets it when they get his holiness. Let me give you quickly one more. Look at Revelation chapter one. Remember Peter, James, and John, they're on top of Mark chapter nine, uh, transfiguration. And now, years later, this is John, the old disciple. He doesn't see Jesus, but he gets a revelation of Jesus. Notice how John responds when he gets the best glimpse of his life, of the holiness of God. His face was like the sun, Jesus, shining in full strength. Now, again, this is just a revelation. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. See, we have a difficulty of the severity of sin because of the impossibility of understanding the holiness of God. They get it when they see it. And friends, 
when you see Jesus, and regardless of whether you buy in or back away, you will. When you and I see Jesus, we're going to get it. We're going to get the holiness. We're going to get the severity of the mess and the separation that sin caused. I just want you to trust him before that day. So uh, let me give you two more and then I'm done. This is the substitution part of this theology of the crucifixion. The essence of death is separation. The essence of the gospel is substitution. Let him die for you. Let him give life to you. He was pierced for our transgressions. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. We all like sheep, fallen short, gone astray. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He himself bore our sins on the tree that we might die to sin, live to rightness by his wounds, substitute, we have been healed. One last one, 1 Peter 3. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for you and me that we might bring, that he might bring us to God. Let me give you one last word picture back in Genesis, which is really uh, pretty darn cool. I just hope it's more than cool. I hope it causes some of you to make a decision. So back in the Garden of Eden, you have sin that came in. Now, sin separates. So Adam and Eve had to leave. That is where this face-to-face fellowship was not going to be permitted, not to be allowed because of God's holiness and their lack of. So they're out, and their relationship was never the same since. Do you know what was between the garden and those who left Eden? An angel. An angel was placed there, says, you can't go back. There's a tree of life there. There's sin. It's severe. I'm holy. You're not. And I'm going to care. I'm going to dwell, but never again fully. It's interesting that in the curtain that God told Moses to embroider for the tabernacle and the temple starting 1,500 years before Jesus. Do you know what God said? Make sure you embroider into the curtain that no one can go in except one person once a year. Cherubim, angels. Angels are embedded in that curtain as a symbol that it all started years ago in a garden when sin separates. Did you also know that in Genesis chapter 3, it was not just that sin separates, but now sin causes thorns and thistles. I didn't even get this until this morning. It's interesting that the very painful reality that was put on Jesus' head started with sin. God never meant there to be thorns and thistles. But Jesus says, I'm going to go ahead and allow the, the pain and the reality of sin to be put on me. So you can go free. Don't miss the theology of the crucifixion. You bow your heads. Let's finally pray. Father, thank you for an opportunity where we can understand with our head more of who you are and who we are not. More of your love for us. 
and more of the opportunity we have to be reconciled, to return, to have a ransom paid because of our sin. So we can be adopted in. We can be back part of your family. Father, I pray for those here whose head has been keeping their heart from you. Father, I pray that we would recognize that we're always going to have questions. But may we never wait for all of our questions to be answered before we answer the question of who Jesus is and why did he die. And wherever you are with your head down, come on. Your kids are fine. Your car is fine. Don't miss this opportunity. Would you bow your knee and give your life to the one who made it possible for you to have real life? That Jesus Christ, I know, I finally recognize why you came to die. You didn't have to. You chose to, and you were fully awake, fully alert when you breathed your last for me. And Jesus Christ, right here, right now, as a churchian, as someone who has embraced religion, I realize, God, more than anything else, I need a relationship with you. Would you forgive me for my sin? Would you adopt me into your family? And I accept you as my Savior to forgive, my Lord to lead. Help me with my heart. Help me with my head. Seek you and pursue you from this day forward as part of your family. In Jesus' name, amen. There's a lot more. We're not going there. Relax. I'm not, we're done. But I really want you to come back because we're, in a sense, we're just getting started. But right now is a very opportunistic moment. Would you worship with your heart and your head and give God your life for the first time or yet again? You're about to sing a song. Here's my heart, Lord. Speak what is true. You know what the truth is? God loves you and you needed Jesus to do for you what he did not deserve. Accept that. And let's walk with him together.
sing these verses one more time through the more often that you speak truth the more often it becomes real because sometimes the brain has to guide the heart once God plants that seed and the more often you hear it the deeper the seed goes to grow roots You watched the road. 
for just a minute. I have a few things I want to share with you, but before I go any further, I want to say that uh, if God has been speaking to you, we trust that the Holy Spirit is, is active in this place, and if God has been speaking to you, um, we would love to walk through that with you. We would want an opportunity to, uh, to pray with you, but, but the only way we can do that is if you, if you come find me, come find Pastor Bob, come find somebody to, uh, to be a part of this. Uh, if God has been stirring in your heart, let us know. Um, besides that, I just have a few things I want to say before I let you go. Um, you've heard the announcements already, but I just want to put an exclamation point on a couple of things because there's exciting stuff going on in this church, and you need to know that Faith in Action is next Sunday. That means if you come at 1045 like you're used to, we're all going to be gone. You've got to be here at 915. 915, we'll uh, meet here out at the tables. You'll get a t-shirt. I wish I had them for you today. I do not. They're late. I'm sorry. But come back next week. If, unless you've already got a shirt, come wearing your shirt. But otherwise, I'm going to have them for you at 9.15 right here. Grab a shirt, come take a picture with us, take communion, and then go out and serve in your projects. And if you have uh, not yet signed up, please do so. They we're about 70% full. That's awesome. That means that we've got enough people to, to make every project a success. It also means there's room for you to get on board. So there's, there's a information about those projects out at the gazebo. I'll be there. You can ask any question you like. Uh, you can also sign up online with the link that uh, most of you have. If you don't have it, uh, get on our email list. You will get it. Um, the other thing you heard about is, uh, is Easter. Easter is around the corner. You're going to hear a lot more about Easter. The only thing you need to know for now is that we are looking to build a volunteer team to be able to pull off a big community event. And so there's an opportunity for you to sign up and volunteer yourself to be uh, a part of this. We've got, we got face painting, we've got petting zoo, we've got a big egg hunt, and we need lots of help. So you can do that on our website, gracepointsd.com slash fun, F-U-N. So I encourage you to do that if you haven't already. And also, we're going to... This egg hunt, we need lots of plastic eggs. We're going to need help stuffing them as well. But if you want to be a part of that, bring your eggs. Uh, let, let's, let the Kids Point know. Again, you can find that also on our website, gracepointsd.com slash fun. And while you're at the website, uh, you can find out about Faith in Action. You can find out about our Israel trip. You can find out about small groups. This is a, a way that we want to uh, communicate with you guys. So if you haven't looked at our website recently, please do. And uh, with that, 
That's it, guys. We'll see you next week. Faith in Action Day, 9-15. Bye, guys. Have a great week.